This is Enacting the Kingdom, a podcast about liturgical worship. I'm Father Yuri Claudio, an Orthodox Christian priest with a lifelong desire to keep learning. I'm joined by my friend and teacher, Father Jeffrey Reddy. Father Jeffrey is the director of the Orthodox School of Theology at the University of Toronto and holds a doctorate in liturgical theology. The scripture readings at a baptism service. That is our topic, Father Jeffrey. Welcome to you, Father Jeffrey. Welcome to all our listeners. And I'm excited to dive into a little bit of a Bible study episode. It kind of feels like that, Father Jeffrey. I uh, I run a mm-hmm. bi-weekly Bible study and, um, and it's... Uh, this is reminding me of that. So maybe we should just Very dive good. right you, in. You take the lead. I'll, I'll be your student. Oh, no, no, please. No, um, no, I will ask the questions uh, and I will learn. Um, okay. So just to give a bit of a contextualizing what's been happening in the service. Um, so if you don't know already, maybe go back and listen to the whole series. So, you know, what's going on up to this point and you know, some of the series, you know, some of the topics that father Jeffrey and I have been, um, um, picking out throughout the entire service of baptism, but we have just gone through, uh, the actual baptism. So where the person is actually dipped or dunked or whatever it might be into the water and comes out. And as we mentioned, there's probably a lot of chaos going on. Maybe it was even missed by some people because it's so fast. And then there's the drying off. And then there's the order of chrismation, where the candidate is anointed with the oil of chrismation. Um, And even that can be quite quick, you know, sealed with the gift of the Holy Spirit. And as we mentioned, Father Jeffrey, because those actual ceremonial acts can kind of be a little fast, it seems that the the scripture readings after are a way of being able to give an explanation of, you know, what the heck just happened <laughs> um, or a time of almost reflection on, on what just happened in the ritual. Um, so maybe, maybe we could start first with the prokimenon before the epistle reading, if that would work for you, Father Jeffrey. Well, sure. I, I would also even just mention the procession, right, um, uh, yes, around yeah. the font. Um, and I think I mean, this is the link between what you're just describing and this kind of more reflective moment um, that the Perkimenon will announce and then the readings will expand on. And then if there's a homily, that will, you know, kind of go into that piece. But, it, you know, traditionally, baptisms wouldn't have been done at a kind of movable font in the middle of the church, as we're kind of more used to today, particularly when you've got infant baptisms and the font can be more readily, you know, mobilized into place, as it were. But there would have been a, a separate place called a baptistry, which was either in one of the wings of the church or perhaps in a in a separate uh, building attached to the church or all kinds of different models and, and you know, kind of uh, architectural designs in, in play. Uh, but that procession that we have, which today, you know, if you're already in the middle of the church and the font is there and everything else is there and every, all the people are gathered there, then, then the procession is naturally just going to be what we see, which is like three times around the font. But that actually recalls a real physical and purposeful procession, which would have been the procession from the baptistry into the center of the church. And so that really underlines what you're saying here, right? That, you know, we've done this kind of, you know, frenetic, you know, slightly chaotic, depending on the the nature of the the baptismal candidate. If they're very young, it can be, you know, very crazy indeed. You know, we've gone from that activity and now we're going to move into a kind of more reflective 
liturgical, you know, uh, scriptural mode. And so that procession takes us from the place of baptism to that place of the proclamation of the gospel, right, which we're familiar with. And, you know, this is how the liturgy would have unfolded in, in days gone by anyway. You know, the idea you would process into church in the middle of the church would be that first part of the divine liturgy centered around readings and so forth, and then a further procession in um you know, and, and through the church to, to be able to celebrate, you know, the Eucharist. So the idea of stations or, or places that different things happen in the church was something very familiar to people, you know, in, in centuries uh, past. We've lost a little bit of that. We tend to be in the same place all the time, but we have these little kind of circular processions that kind of recall what was happening there. But but so, yeah, just underline your point about moving from the activity of baptism and chrismation, now this procession comes into the middle of the church um you know as we sing one of you know the verses that's drawn from you know the 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 readings essentially the same sort of scriptural idea right as many as have been baptized into christ um you know have put on christ it's from a different epistle but it, it's the same kind of idea as what uh, the epistle to the romans is going to be about so we already have this scriptural motif with the procession itself singing that uh hymn and then we we come into the center of the church for the Perkimenon. Exactly. And the Perkimenon is, you know, it's it's a one psalm verse that's taken out of an entire psalm, maybe a key psalm verse. And it is supposed to introduce, I guess, the themes of the readings that we're going to experience, right? Um, it's kind of a quick snapshot into, yeah, the themes that are going to come up. The Perkimenon for baptism so this would be the chanter and the presbyter would in, intone this. Um, well, the, the chanter would intone it, but it is from Psalm 26. If you're using the Septuagint, it's 27. If you're using a Masoretic uh, Bible, but um, it goes like this. The Lord is my light and my savior. Whom shall I fear? And then the, the second line that's chanted is the Lord is the defender of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Uh, it's quite a challenge, isn't it? Father Jeffrey. <laughs> Yeah, it's um you know it 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 is pr- precisely baptismal, right? In the sense of recalling light and salvation and life um and so forth. Uh but it sets a pretty high bar here, a pretty high standard. Um and it's an interesting psalm actually because you know, we're used to the idea of, uh, you know, Psalms, as we've spoken of before, having this kind of U shape where you, you know, start maybe in a place of kind of orientation, everything's fine. And then you descend uh, into the depths, challenges, struggles, strife, misery, uh, suffering uh, come upon you. And then, you know, you, you have to kind of get through that and, and, into this place of uh, reorientation, uh, which is a new kind of insight, a new place of trust in God. This psalm is almost backwards in a way because this mm. thesis, it comes from the very beginning of the psalm. You'll notice if, if you look in the uh, the Perkimenon, um, you know, reference here, it's verse one of, of this psalm. And uh, it's kind of that place that normally one would get to, right? Mm. Uh, at, at the end of sort of seeing, despite everything, God is our salvation and we have nothing to fear. Actually, despite everything we've just experienced, 
And this is a kind of curious reversal in a way, because the psalm starts this way, and then it kind of ventures into, you know, but all these things are going to happen, um, almost the kind of mirror image of, of the normal psalm. And then it will kind of try to claw its way back to kind of the same, um, you know, kind of insight from the beginning here. But it is, it's interesting, because this is the beginning of a new life, right, with baptism and, and so mm-hmm. forth. So, but it's a beginning that has to be you know, staked on knowing that this beginning comes from an end, right? And so I think it's really curiously appropriate here to say, we're going to start a psalm, or, you know, refer to a psalm that that has the, the, the end of all things at its very beginning, right? Yeah, and that's kind yeah. of what's happening at baptism, that this person whose sins have been remitted has entered into the grace and forgiveness of the life of the age to come, you know, this person now lives from the end, from the eschaton, from that last day. And so that psalm is a kind of eschatological reversal of, uh, of things, which is, uh, it's, so yeah, high bar indeed, but, but absolutely appropriate for these um, circumstances and for what we're celebrating. And the word light really jumps out at me. And we're going to, you know, through the epistle of Paul to the Romans, the reading we're going to do in just a second, you know, there's this idea that when light interacts with darkness, those are not equal and opposite powers, right? That light always triumphs over darkness. When you walk into a dark room and you switch the light on, the darkness can't fight back, right? Against the light, the light just completely conquers it and dispels the darkness. Um, And and that's what sort of came to my mind, especially with using that word light. In the version that I'm reading, actually, they capitalize the word light um, Mm. to even give it more emphasis. Um, The Lord is my light and my savior. Whom shall I fear, right? Whom shall I fear? Nobody. Like, the, am I going to fear the darkness? No, because the light is here, right? Um, yeah, and it, it connects us back to creational themes as well, because, of course, light is the very, very first thing that God brings into existence, right? And so in this you know, celebration of new creation, you know, this old Adam has put on the new Adam. Uh, so we are in the realm of recreation here, new creation, the renewal of all things, the whole purpose of creation. And so what is the theme that will predominate? We call these the mysteries of illumination, enlightenment, right? Bringing new light, uh, renewal of that light and the purpose of that light of, of creation and, and so forth. So absolutely appropriate to capitalize it, put it in all caps. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. bold face, <laughs> flashing, do whatever you need to do. Neon, neon uh, light to, flashing. Neon lights, yes. All right, well, let's move. So we've now completed the Prokemenon, the, the, the prelude verse. And now we are at the actual epistle reading, uh, which is taken from, it's an excerpt from the Apostle Paul's letter to the Romans. Mm-hmm. So I think maybe what I should do is just read the whole thing. It's very short, just a, mm-hmm. a handful of verses, um, but very powerful. And then we can dive into um, what's happening here. So it begins. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him so that the sinful body might be destroyed and we might no longer be enslaved to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. But if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. 
For we know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Uh, very powerful, uh, connecting our own life story, our own our own life with that of the death and resurrection of Christ. There's a very clear, uh, what's the first line here? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus or were baptized into his death? Um, uh, already this connection with the waters being plunged into the waters is something that's connected with um, the the crucifixion and the burial of, of Christ. But it's that's not where it ends. You know, Paul says, but we're going to be, just as Christ was raised from the dead, we are raised with him as well. Um, and, you know, I, I think it reminds me a little bit of the Exodus as well, of the, you know, going down into the waters and then coming out. All, all of this is sort of tied in together, isn't it, Father Jeffrey? Uh, absolutely. I mean, just to that last point, I mean, really the interpretive key for the whole epistle to the Romans um, is the Torah, right? So Paul has mm-hmm. that as his backstory. So he'll spend the first few chapters talking about themes that connect to Genesis, you know, figures like Adam and Abraham and and so forth. But by this point in, in the epistle, he's shifted into the Exodus, right? And so we have this whole story of uh, redemption, and 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 this deliverance of Israel from bondage and slavery, you know, but going precisely through the waters in order to to get there. And so this move from from old to to new, from from sin to 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 healing and 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 health and and wholeness of life uh, of death to life is a movement through the waters, right? And so. Uh, you know, absolutely. It's it is in this connection, therefore, you know, Jesus as the one who kind of sums up Israel as who is the fulfillment. I mean, he'll go on in Romans to talk about the very telos or purpose of the Torah is the Messiah, right? And so all of these uh, Torah themes and the story, you know, uh, from the books of Moses, the Pentateuch, which lie behind the epistle to the Romans, find their fulfillment in Jesus. And, and Paul uses that whole narrative framework to kind of make sense of what salvation is and to present that to 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 the romans in this kind of whole this is really the kind of summary of and and systematization of his theological you know teaching his gospel as he calls it and uh at the heart of it is this notion that we too in jesus pass through these waters from from death to life right and that that is a participation in what the Messiah has done to sum up the whole story of Israel. It's really powerful, really, uh, you know, I say complex, not complex so much as it is intricate, right? It's all these parts that kind of come together. And if you truly understand that story of Israel being fulfilled in Jesus, the Messiah, then, and then we as participants in the Messiah are, are called to share in that. That's kind of, you know, the whole purpose of this. So, Christ's death becomes our death. Christ's life will become our life. And the really interesting thing here is, although obviously we have not yet been resurrected, right? And Paul's not suggesting that, that, you know, by baptism we are, we die and then are actually resurrected in the way that Jesus is resurrected on, on the third day. We're not yet there. But the, 
in some really powerful and, and real way, the newness of life, of the new creation, of the resurrection life, the life of the kingdom, that life is available to us now and that we can already live that now. We have yet to physically die and, you know, to be physically resurrected. That is our hope. And, you know, Paul will talk a lot about that, uh, particularly in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. That's the big theme of, of, of that epistle and of that chapter. But here, he makes it absolutely clear, although, you know, that physical part of it that our physical death has yet to come and our physical resurrection already in a in a kind of profound and serious and real and spiritual sense we have died and we have risen again it, it almost makes of the physical death a kind of administrative formality of a sort you know it, well that'll that'll come that you know that's a detail or whatever but the reality of it has already happened and it connects us back to you know the lord is my light and my salvation what shall i fear if you have already died if everything about death is already that that matters has already happened to you and you already live now here and now in the life of the age to come what could you possibly fear what, what does anybody have over you? You know, the, the only kind of, uh, you know, influence or leverage anybody would ever have over you is your life. And you've already given that up. And so that's the heart of this message here is that by entering into the life and uh, communion with the life of the Messiah, we already have laid down our lives and we are already going from old Adam to new Adam, from old creation to new creation, from this passing away age, the life of the age to come. Yeah, there's the rest of the stuff that has to be sorted out and dealt with in this physical reality that we have, but we have nothing to fear. We are already there in a profound sense. And yes, eventually our physical life will be laid aside and we will be resurrected. But the reality of that has rushed forward you know, from the future uh, in to meet us now. And that's what you know, St. Paul is you know, emphasizing here about this walking in newness of life and already, uh, you know, having possession uh, of that life, right? And I love the imagery he uses here. I think you, in your translation, you said, you know, consider yourselves, um, you know, dead to sin, but alive uh, unto God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. But the word in the Greek there for the consider is actually the word that you would use for accounting, Right, it, it reckon or account uh, yourselves, mm. right? And so but that's it's much uh, deeper than consider. Like that's, it is because it's yeah. not a kind of mental exercise. It's you know when you do accounting. Um, there's the reality and then there's the kind of, uh, you know, reporting of it, right? And sometimes the reporting is inaccurate, right? But it doesn't kind of change the underlying, you know, reality somehow. Um, and it, this whole process of, uh, and that's where there's this kind of disconnect in a way between, you know, what you might be observing. Yeah, you haven't yet died, um, clearly, uh, in, a, in a physical sense, but the accounting of it, Right is important. God's accounting of this is, the, is is to become our accounting of it. Account yourselves already dead to this life, to to the to the the passing away age, to the old creation. You're dead to that, and already accounted alive 
in Christ. And uh, I think that's a really powerful kind of metaphor on which this all hinges, right? That somehow we all have to become better accountants um, and understand you know, what's happening. And, and, you know, you made the point earlier about, you know, the, the, the baptism and chrismation have happened. Now we're going to kind of do a bit of a reflection on it. Well, it's more than that. It's more than just considering. It's more than just, well, let's think a little bit about what's just happened. We have to do accounting. And this accounting, this reckoning is about saying the reality of what's just happened is this. Now get that right. Cause everything depends on it. If you get this right, you have nothing to fear. If you get this right, the Lord is your light and your salvation. Uh, if you get this right, then you, you know you are in the Messiah and the Messiah has fulfilled all things and everything that he has promised will come to in, into its fullness and you will be a full participant in that. But you need to get that accounting right. So it's a really, it's a serious moment in the service, right? I, you know, it's as important as the physical ritual acts of baptism and chrismation. You know, we can't, you know, we often say, what, what would you reduce this to if you wanted to just do the sacrament or whatever? Well, I think this accounting is a part of it. This has to be an, a, an absolutely critical, crucial part of the whole of the sacrament. If you don't do this, then just stepping into a bath three times isn't going to cut it, right? It's this accounting that St. Paul pushes us to do to truly understand what's gone on, right? So it, the, 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 the sacraments aren't magic. Uh, and, and one of the ways of kind of taking that forward, there's going to be others. We're going to, there's big, going to be a kind of commissioning too of the, the, the new candidate, uh, or the newly received candidate, uh, uh, and the newly baptized, the newly illumined, and you know, for ministry and so forth. That's another part of it. But it begins here with this getting the whole thing straight and participating in it fully. The podcast you're listening to reflects only the public half of the overall project of enacting the kingdom. Father Jeffrey and I actively post new episodes on our completely separate private podcast. This private space gives us the freedom to debate and discuss open and sometimes controversial questions regarding the Orthodox faith amongst a smaller and more dedicated audience. If you become a patron now, you'll get immediate access to our growing backlog of private episodes, including a discussion on the ordination of women and the coronavirus multiple spoon controversy. To get access to our private podcast, go to patreon.com slash enacting the kingdom. Looking forward to having you join our growing community on Patreon. Now back to the show. So the gospel reading is taken from the gospel of Matthew. Actually, it's the last four verses of the entire gospel of Matthew. And five I'll just read verses. five verses. Sorry, five verses. Five verses? Sure. 16 um, to 20, inclusive. Inclusive. So um, I will read it and then we can talk about it. So just for some context, this is, you know, Jesus has been resurrected and is now with his disciples on, on a mountain. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. Very Amen. short, short and sweet and to the point. Indeed. Um, but just 
packed, you know, with all kinds of things. And of uh, you, know, you, you rightly point out this is the the very conclusion of the whole of the gospel. And so, like any you know great work of uh, literature, any great piece of music or whatever, the the coda here is you know really important and reprises you know several of the themes that have been running right the way through the gospel. And, and it's also a kind of foil to some of the things that happened, you know, very early on, you know, the name given to, to Jesus in the gospel of Matthew is Emmanuel, right? Emmanuel mm-hmm. is one of the, and w- which means God with us. And what's the last thing Jesus will say, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So this is this kind of indwelling of Emmanuel in the new creation in the new uh, humanity that Jesus has formed in and around himself. And so the church becomes, you know, God with us, you know, in the world. There's the the notion that all uh, power, all authority given to me in heaven and on earth, well, what had the devil promised Jesus or offered Jesus, right, tempted right. Jesus with, you know, was, well, I can give you all power in heaven and earth. And that would have been you know, uh, you know, sort of think, well, why didn't he just do that? Because that would have saved a lot of trouble. But the whole point was the path that Jesus had to go down to, ex- to have accepted all power in heaven on earth without the path of his death and resurrection, without the mm-hmm. path of the cross, uh, of taking upon himself all of the, the suffering and all of the sin of the world, you know, would have been, you know, tyranny. Right, so this is a different kind of authority, uh, a different character to that authority. It's an authority that is won through self-sacrificing love, right? And so that contrast there, you know, is is powerful. So you got Emmanuel, Emmanuel. You've got all power in heaven and earth, but now achieved and hard fought, hard won by love and and self-sacrifice in in the way that the gospel presents. Uh, It's just you know a beautiful ending, you know, to the to the gospel, but you know, it also is profoundly baptismal, right? Um, Because, uh, I mean, specifically, our Lord commands his disciples, essentially, to go out and do what he has been doing with them, right? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, in some sense, the whole of the Gospel of Matthew is a kind of catechetical manual. It's a manual designed to, uh, for the early church to kind of make disciples, right? It's all about you know, that. And so this idea of going out, making disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that baptism, you know, just like we saw in Paul to the Romans, is a baptism into the very mode of life that Jesus himself has has shown them, right? So it's a teaching them to observe all the things that I have commanded you, all the things that I have lived, all the things that I have demonstrated, all the things that I've asked you to do and that you failed sometimes and we've reflected on that and learned from that and we've you know tried again and all of that newness of life that our Lord has brought his disciples into, that they have to go on doing. And that's the really interesting thing about, you know, this all power in heaven and earth has been given to me and I'm with you always. You're saying, where is that present? Where is that obvious? Where is that visible, you know, to us? Because obviously sin and death and struggle and, and strife have not disappeared, right? So is this all just, you know, romantic uh, stained glass, uh, you know, vision of, uh, of the world or, you know, what's going on here? Well, the whole point is, 
there will be an end to the age in which all of this is fulfilled. But in the meantime, there's this real commissioning, this sending forward of those who are in the Messiah to live as he did and to proclaim the kingdom that he has already started, but not yet you know, fulfilled. And so there's this expectation on disciples of Jesus to do what Jesus started. And that, you know, we're talking about the high bar that was set with, you know, the Prochemen on here. Here's another one, right, of saying, do as I have done, right? That's what a disciple does. And you, that's a theme that's been throughout the gospel of, of Matthew as well as the others, you know, that how can the disciple expect anything other than what the master has done? So whether what the master does, the disciple does, what the master faces the disciple faces and the the kind of treatment that the world will give will not be dissimilar right so go out do as i have done i am with you as you do this and all things will ultimately come to their their full conclusion because trust me all power has been given to me on in heaven on earth all these powers that you face have been emptied but you nevertheless, you know, have to go through. So we're still in this, you know, already not yet thing that Paul's, you know, uh, the pericope we read, you know, to the Romans, um, you know, where he's talking about, you know, you will eventually be resurrected. That newness of life is can be had now, but there's still this path to be uh, trod. There's still this journey to 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 go on. This this work to be done uh, between now and the ultimate wrapping up of, of all things. So a lot of so stuff for you in these five short verses. Absolutely. What, what's striking me about both of these readings is that there's a sense of. Um, let's say like accomplishment, right? That we have just, something has just happened or something has come to maybe a type of conclusion or a fulfillment, right? But at the same time, there is that commissioning, right? There's that, well, this has opened a door into this, into doing this for the rest of your life, right? Um, you know, in particular, this reading from Matthew is like, there's almost the sense of, okay, well, a new disciple has been baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Good. But then that's not the end. Like it, it, it invites you to continue. It invites that person, that candidate to continue um, living that life throughout the rest of their life. It's sort of this final accomplishment of something, but also the brand new beginning of something else. I guess that's kind of related to um, how we've been talking about the overlap of the ages, right? You have like this age, but then the entrance of the age to come. And we live in a now but not yet kind of time. Maybe that's a, just another expression of that idea. Yeah, and you know, it really you know shows us that getting people in the door is not the point, right? Uh, and there are an awful lot of parishes, an awful lot of congregations, an awful lot of churches that you know the, their raison d'être is growing in numbers, right? And and the accomplishment is to bring somebody in that conversion. The so they do evangelism, they they do instruction, the person is brought in, and then you know. We'll put another one on you know, another checkbox uh, uh, is ticked on on the list, and now we go out and we'll find another. And that's not the point of this. And you can't twist this into saying that there's no resting on one's laurels. the The very process of coming in is a process of entering into the life of Jesus, the Messiah, and everything that that entails. Right? If He is with us, it's to 
do in and through us everything that he has already, you know, been doing. And so, you know, you said earlier about this part of the service being this kind of reflective piece. Well, it's a, it's a challenge. It's a, it's a commissioning. It's a, it's a, it's a, you know, now get busy kind of message. It's not a, let's rest on our laurels and, and, and just, you know, pat ourselves on the back. We've got another one in the door, you know, if we've grown, you know, by one more in terms of our, our demographics or, or whatever, it, it genuinely is, okay, what is this all for? Well, it's this outward, uh, mission directed participation in in God's own uh saving redemptive work you know towards the whole world and uh, so it involves ongoing discipleship of the person who's come in and also this ongoing uh call to live the fullness of everything that that Jesus himself has started through his uh earthly life and through also through his passion death resurrection and uh it's a yeah i mean there's an awful lot that's that's being laid out for us here, but the, the overall thrust should be of a, a one of a challenge, right? And you know, it's clever too the way you know Saint Matthew describes you know what's going on here. Obviously, the one who uh, you know is resurrected from the dead has gone again to a mountain. Mountains are really important in in Matthew, and you know he s- stands before them and tells them that all power has been given to him in heaven on earth. That one deserves and our worship, right? And he accepts the worship of the disciples. But there's this phrase of, but some doubted or some hesitated. Um, the Greek could be rendered as well. Uh, you know, the, there's a sense in which, you know, there's this place in which we live, in which it's an ongoing struggle, in which it's it's not always going to be you know, roses and cupcakes going forward. It's not like, okay, now that you're baptized, now that you're a Christian, expect everything to go well for you. As we just said, I mean, if the disciples, you know, are to be truly disciples, they will follow the same path as their master. And, uh, and that means a path of suffering. And uh, that's not uh, necessarily the the brightest and cheeriest message to be giving here. It's supposed to be, you know, new life, new joy and everything, but it's the realistic one. And so this idea of being somewhere between worship and doubt, you know, which is back to that psalm again about saying, you know, the Lord's my light in my life, but hang on, there's all these other things that are going to intervene. What do I do about that? And uh, so that from the psalm to Romans to Matthew here, the same theme is being reiterated that we need to expect that the this is the beginning of a path of of ongoing work towards bringing the kingdom uh, more fully into being until christ indeed is revealed as the one who has all power in heaven on earth enacting the kingdom is a patron supported show and if you're not a patron you're only getting half of everything we create if you'd like to join our growing community of supporters, please go to patreon.com slash enacting the kingdom. Your patronage goes a long way to keeping this show going. Thanks so much, and we'll see you next time.